Welcome to a bonus series on the Life Giver Podcast. Made possible by the USO, these bonus episodes are from a monthly series called You're Leaving Again, where the USO is following Matt and I during our deployment, and we are sharing our authentic story with you. Whether you're going through your own deployment, our geo-batching, on an unaccompanied tour, or maybe getting ready to, this series aims to be the first of its kind. Real life, gritty, but resourceful content aimed to help you keep your marriage and family strong while you're apart. So whether you're a military spouse or a service member, this series is for you. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, or head outside for a walk and listen in as Matt and I share what we are learning apart with you. Last time on the Life Giver Podcast. We need to be able to have the, the, you know, the adult courage to stand up under the weight of the fact that we've disappointed the other person. And we find that if we can deal with, uh, if we can sit in the pocket of having hurt the other person with an interaction and then move forward and listen to the other person, listen to their hurt, take that in, validate it, and then decide to move on, we've actually really patched up the wound much more fast than if we try and defend or deflect or explain. So, yeah. So we're already getting some really great questions that I think lead us into this next section of how do you rebuild trust. So we're going to get into what we call trust cups. I'll be right back. Um, It's a visual for um, how to be able to understand um, trust a little bit better. So if you are listening to this after the fact through the podcast, you're just going to have to use your imagination as we kind of explain it. This is something that we've talked about for a really long time. And so we're going to get into here in this next little segment, we're going to talk about how do you rebuild that trust? Because I got this great question of what if that, what if you're, what if the other person is willing to be remorseful, but it's hard to trust them because it's a long-term pattern so that you can hear the perpetual death of a thousand cuts, right? Like it's, it's a long-term pattern and they're remorseful, but we kind of keep going through this thing again and again and again, it's like on loop, right? How do you keep forgiving? Right. And so restoring trust does get into the, the question of like, what is forgiveness? What do you believe about forgiveness? What's the difference between forgiveness and grace? Like all of those, um, those questions are really important and we may not necessarily get to forgiveness versus grace and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I will say that if we do not get to that, um, in your, resource guide and that listening guide at the very end, I included in that resource guide and the resource section, two podcast episodes. One of them is the strategy for post betrayal or post affair recovery where I walk you as a listener through what's the phases, what's the work that I work with couples on um, to recover from a betrayal, from especially a large infraction. Um, Because I've worked with so many couples that I've just decided I'm going to put this on a podcast episode and send those couples to listen to this Mm -hmm. episode. And then we'll come back and be more productive in the sessions. So um, that is linked in your resource guide. And so is another podcast episode. It's a little bit more faith-based, not like so faith-based that you You'd feel uncomfortable with it. But um, on the topic of what is forgiveness in this whole process and how do you process through that? And so um, that would be a really important good one. I talk through like the layers of forgiveness, the timing of forgiveness is a very complicated question that we may not necessarily get to today. So we're going to get into trust cups here. And normally when Matt and I are together, it's like, I can't like pass it over to you. Sorry. I- uh- <laughs> <laughs> but, but we actually want to give credit where credit's due. And ooh, I don't know if I posted this in on the resource guide, but just to give credit where credit's due, um, one of our mentors, Dr. Mike Seitzma, who spends like 80% of his client caseload is post-affair recovery work with couples. Um, he introduced the concept of trust buckets or trust cups. And so we learned that from him. Um, and we will try to um, post the video of that. I don't know if Laura and Trish could find it. If you look up Seitzma, S-Y-T-S-M-A, um, Trust Cups, Laura's on it. Um, she'll post the video. He's got the most soothing counselor voice ever. Um, he's an amazing person, but he um, goes into a little bit more detail than we will on especially post-affair recovery and what that process looks like with this concept. So Matt, do you kind of want to start off? You do such a good job of explaining Trust Cups, or can you do it while not holding the cups? <laughs> or do you want me to yeah, do it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
the trust cup is representative of our capacity to trust. And when I say capacity, it really is the amount. And that really comes down to two things. It's the amount, like how much trust that we can hold in our life for someone else. And it's also the way that, um, that we give and receive trust. Um, and, and, and what actually fills that up. So, you, so think about this for yourself for a minute. Like how willing are you to trust? You know, think about that. How, um, what things have to be present in your life or in a relationship for you to trust? Um, and what do people have to be doing? And also consider what role does your family of origin or your early childhood, adolescent years play in shaping that? So for instance, some people grew up in a stable home, everything was fine, everything was great, finances were great, you never had to worry about anything. And so you were able to trust pretty well. You had a great capacity to be able to trust. Um, and it was easy for you to give and receive trust because you thought the world was safe and people were safe. Conversely, if you grew up in a very unstable environment, if things were always touch and go financially, if you never knew how you were going to get treated when you were at home, if it was a very unstable and unsafe environment, you probably have a low capacity for trusting. It's always a trust, but verify. Make sure you check on something, okay? You don't know that that's your trust bucket. Like this is an imaginary thing up until you're actually in a relationship with another person attempting to trust them and do life together with them. You don't know what your capacity for trust is. You don't honestly don't know what people have to do. You just instinctively know you do or don't trust them. We don't really think beyond and go, okay, wait a minute, objectively, let me analyze what this person is doing and think, oh, well, they're doing this and that's why I trust them. That's why I have faith in them. So you get married and at the beginning of marriage, you, you promise that you're going to love and cherish and honor and do all those wonderful things. Well, time goes on and you've got your trust cup, you know, your trust bucket, look down, whether or not you have a big capacity to trust, you know, hold it, hold it closer to the, the camera. If you have a lot of capacity to trust, pull it back or a small capacity to trust. <laughs> so uh, you don't really know what you have until the other person is trying to fill your trust bucket. Now, if you have a large capacity to trust and the person isn't doing a lot, your trust bucket is never going to be full. You're never really going to trust them because they're not doing enough to fill, right? If you have a small trust bucket, um, you're, you know, yeah, you're going all the way back. Um, then, uh, yeah, you don't have a lot of capacity to trust the person, okay? Now, what happens that goes wrong in a marriage or in a relationship is that we end up wounding one another with small little infractions. Think about it this way. You know, um, I call you on the way home from work. Hey, what do you need me for me to pick up on the way home from work? I need you to really pick up some eggs or I need you to pick up some milk, you know, for the boys' cereal in the morning. Great. Got it. I need you to pick up milk for this boys' cereal. I come home. Oh, crap. I totally forgot to stop by the grocery store. It wasn't on the way. You know, it just isn't in my pattern. I get, in the, I get into the car and I just drive and then I arrive at home. You know, the first couple of times, like, don't worry about it. They'll... Excuse me, they'll have they'll have oatmeal, they'll be fine, they'll do whatever, right? Well, that goes on and on. And eventually I've made all these little holes in that cup from forgetting things. I've made a promise or a commitment that I haven't upheld my end of the bargain. And so but when you start a, to ask, go ahead. can I just say that that's a small example, but if that happened every single time that your spouse went mm -hmm. to the grocery store, right? Even that's maybe a minor, small infraction, mm -hmm. like Okay, so he forgot something, right? But if every yeah. time he forgets that thing, at some point, deep down inside, you're gonna be like, you know what, I'm just not gonna ask him. He apparently has too much on his mind. I don't trust him to hear me, or I don't trust him to remember, or I don't, yeah. and it's small little, Matt and I call it a tic-tac. It's like a tic-tac yeah. thought that's in your head. That's like a little breakdown of trust. And that's maybe mm -hmm. a small minor example, but you could apply that to some bigger things too. But like he's saying, like you have these small little infractions that happen in yeah. your relationship so that when your spouse attempts to go to the grocery store and really does want to remember right? Like that's leaking out of your cup because you have these mm -hmm. small uh, breakdowns well, of trust that has happened. Yeah. The little infractions create little holes in the bucket. Initially out of love, we go, okay, you know what? It was a one-off. I'm going to cover that up. And we take our finger and we just cover up that little hole. And we're like, all right, 
you know, keep working. Because what we do is like, if I'm doing if I'm doing an action to try and show Corey to trust me, because trust isn't just implicit. You don't just tell somebody to trust you. You actually have to do things. Trust is active. Do okay? the right Think, thing for the right reason for a really long. Do the right thing the right way for the right reason for a really long time. Like make banana pudding, keep it warm. <laughs> no. Um, so, uh, but if you look, I mean, Corey's only got 10 fingers, right? She can only cover over so many holes. The more holes that I make in that bucket with all those small infractions, and we call that a death of a thousand cuts, then no matter how hard I work to try and help her to trust me, I've already made those infractions. Now, over time, the more she covers them up and the more that I do things to try and create trust and pour trust, you have to imagine water as trust. You pour that into the cup. Um, yeah, if we if we had water and if we had like a little, you know, It'd be all one over of those like little kid water tables. But you guys can imagine. Then, yeah, like, it heals. Well, and if it, this requires a couple of things, right? If somebody keeps causing infractions and breaking trust in your relationship over time, there's a lot of holes. Now I might initially really want to keep the relationship intact and might be willing. Notice it's one person causing the infractions. The other Mm -hmm. person has to make the choice. So if this is my trust cup, that's getting all these infractions happening. I also make the choice every day. Do I want to cover up these holes or do I not Mm -hmm. want to cover up these holes? That's my personal choice. And most of us in the relationship are like wanting to save the relationship. So it is my personal choice on whether or not I'm covering up these holes or whether or not at some point I get so tired and my trust is so broken down that I'm just not, I just don't trust anymore, right? It's starting to really just flow out. And it doesn't matter what the other person is doing. They could be giving me flowers. They could be, you know, saying, I'm sorry. They could be doing all these things to try to fill up trust. But if they are, we'll use the grocery store analogy, but if they are not showing that this is an intentional thing that I keep kind of messing up on this, I need to Mm -hmm. show that I can actually remember and follow through on this thing that they're asking me to change or do something better that I need to be the one that tells my spouse, Hey, here's the issue. I tell you what we need from the grocery store. And I feel like you're not hearing me or listening to me or valuing that this is really helpful for me. And this would mean a lot to me if you would remember it and help me out in this way, because then I'm, I'm in an inconvenient spot when you forget. And I found myself just not asking anymore and doing it for myself. And then I'm more tired. And so specifically, this is what you can do to start earning that trust back. If I'm not communicating that, then the other person might be trying to find other ways to build that trust back maybe, but they're not miss They're not hitting the mark on it. And so that's why mm-hmm. some marriages get to a place where it's just like, you know what? The trust doesn't matter what that person is doing. The behavior is not being changed. They're not doing the right thing, the right way for the right reason for a really mm-hmm. long time to heal this at all. And there's no, and that takes communication, everybody. It takes articulating back and forth. It also takes humility for the other person to go, I am so sorry that I have caused that breakdown of trust in our relationship. And I want to do something different. So notice it takes both sides willingness to show humility and do something different and earn that trust back. And it also takes the other person being willing to choose to Mm. put your fingers over the holes again and give some time for things to heal and choose to trust by me clearly articulating here's how you can earn that trust back right yeah so So in those you got to start small in some of those ways you have to do you have to build ways build trust effectively um the other thing and this is hard to i mean you can say this in premarital counseling but for those of us that have been married for more than a hot minute we've already shot enough holes in one another's buckets that it's a little too late to go hey if you don't want to have to work so hard fixing things don't break so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And can we just say that if, when it comes to large infractions, especially like betrayals, it is literally, this is a very strong cup. I didn't realize how strong it was, yeah. but it is literally blowing the bottom out of your spouse's trust 
cup or trust bucket, right? It's not a small yeah. infraction. It blows out the bottom. So yeah. until that large infraction is dealt with, until that destructive behavior is dealt with, it almost like it doesn't matter what's happening in the relationship, whether we're saying we're sorry, or if we're still doing mm -hmm. those things that are, you know, deceitful or destructive, and we're not changing that behavior, then, mm -hmm. um, and if we're not actively working on building that trust back, the bottom of, of the trust bucket is just blown out. And so, one of the things that's most damaging when people are trying to recover from infidelity, if they're not doing it with a professional, the person that cheated actually feels great alleviation whenever the affair is done and they have finally come clean because they're no longer carrying the lie or the burden. They're like, whoo, my life as a lie is over. Check that out. I feel like free because I no longer have to lie to you. Man, aren't you? Aren't we glad that's done? And well, the other person I, is like, the other person sitting there like, what? So here's what I want to say about that. Um, yes. So the person that's what I call the wound, the wounding spouse, right? right? The one who did the infraction, did the betrayal, like Matt says, feels that relief. But especially if that is a surprise to the mm -hmm. wounded spouse, what I often say is, you know, if they've been deceiving this whole time, let's say I'm just going to on average, let's say six months, right? Let's say they've been deceiving mm -hmm. for six months, something has been going on, they've kept it from their spouse. And then suddenly they get caught or something is said, or we confess or whatever it comes out. That person has been living that life and living that life for six months. And so they feel relieved now that that lies out and they're maybe ready to heal or maybe ready to do something different. Hopefully that's where we're at. But for the wounded spouse, I often say they're back six months. Like they're, mm -hmm. they are behind that healing process by six months because it's been going on mm -hmm. for six months. And so they're out of line in the timing of healing. That wounding spouse is six months ahead of this mm -hmm. other spouse who is now shocked and surprised and has to wrestle with something that's happened and may not be in that place yet where healing is even something that they're even ready to talk about because they've got to go through that level of shock and surprise because the bottom of the cup has been blown out, right? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to building trust back, um, and then let's get into some questions here. Um, mm -hmm. When it get, comes to building that trust back again, please go listen to that podcast episode. It's not meant as self-promotion, more just like extra content to back oh. up. But um, when it, it first is, it takes the wounding spouse because it is my choice. If this is my cup, it's my choice on whether or not I am willing to try to heal this or not. Right. Because it's my cup. Right. So I have to figure out what am I willing to do? And we always say couples, if they're going to rebuild trust, they need to be all in. And I think this is also on your, um, your guide. In fact, I'm going to just screen share here for just a minute. Um, I'm actually, I was going to screen share the trust bucket page um, where we talk about building trust or what, but I actually want to go to this other page where it talks about um, what does it mean to understand trust and also to decide whether or not to rebuild trust. And so in order for us to decide if this relationship is something worth rebuilding, um, we both need to decide a couple things. Okay. We have to decide what are our shared values of what marriage really is. And that goes back to what Matt and I were talking about as far as the rules, the rules for our relationship? What do we believe about mm -hmm. what it means to be loyal? What it means to work hard on a relationship? What does it mean to trust each other? What does it mean to, like, how do you define growth and a willingness to grow as an individual? What do we believe about forgiveness? Like all these questions are really important and why it's helpful to have a neutral professional that's helping you walk through some of this stuff. I will say that the couples that heal from especially big betrayals do better when they have a professional that is in Involved. Every time I have a couple that's been working on it by themselves for a year or two, they have had such a slow process of recovery because they didn't know it was like Swiss cheese. They didn't know that they were missing some very important factors that need to be processed and worked through to have growth. And so they find themselves stuck. They kind of are working on it. They kind of have some trust built, but they've missed some important things. And it's like Swiss cheese, right? So it's, I've found that when you go for professional help and you have somebody that's, um, 
um, that's knowledgeable in this area. They can really help you walk through these steps um, in a very intentional way to make sure you don't miss any of those important steps. But some answering some of those questions about shared values and rules and what you believe and answering some of those tough questions is an important part of the process. You definitely have to have healthy boundaries in your relationship because um, if there is ongoing trust that is destructive, that is happening for a long duration of time, or if someone is not honoring boundaries or not honoring rules in your relationship, it may be um, with the help of a professional understanding, is this actually more of an abusive relationship? Is this actually something that would be more harmful for me to stay in? And that's an important question that a lot of people bring to the table. Um, you also get goes into deciding if healing the relationship is realistic or safe. Um, but where I want to kind of camp out on here is that both spouses have to agree that they're all in. And this is a huge important piece to whether they're small infractions, large infractions, is that if a couple both are all in, if there's humility, if there is remorse, if there's a willingness to work on things and grow <clears throat> and have the tough conversations, those are the relationships that make it. Um, but you have to be all in. And Matt, why don't you tell everybody um, what does um, Seitzma say as far as large infractions, how long it takes for a couple to heal? Um, for betrayal specifically, yeah, yeah. uh, it's weekly counseling for three years, which sounds like a long time, but it, it is think about it's a an incredibly long time. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that people have to think, I mean, you've got to, you have to begin with the end in mind and too many people don't, uh, what they're really doing. Unfortunately, what happens when an affair happens is somebody is actually acting like a teenager. Uh, they're, they're obeying more of an impulse, whether that's emotional or sexual, they're obeying that impulse more than they're obeying their brain. And the brain has to realize, if I do this, I'm going down a road that um, that there's no, honestly, there's no coming back from. You can't actually backpedal and get back to life as it was before them. And so you've got to you really, in order to, to keep and manage trust, it's a daily activity of making the right choices that don't lead you down bad paths. And it's easier said than done, honestly, because most people get married in their early 20s and it's, you know, our brains aren't fully formed yet, but um, I, if anything, if you're, you know, if you've if you've had a betrayal and a breaking of trust, then having a professional help you through that process um, can work. Now, the great thing is, is Saitama will also say this: he only deals in affairs, and he has an eighty-five percent success rate of people that actually come back from broken trust. Now, why is that? Well. Because they finally realize like all their illusions are gone. Mm -hmm. You know, the illusions you start with in a marriage. And what we're trying to say now is if you haven't broken trust or you haven't violated trust or you're like on the cusp of doing that or you're on the edge of considering like a physical or an emotional affair, what I want to tell you is it's completely, totally not worth it. No. Because you're going to do something totally disastrous. It's not the way that you actually... I'm not saying you have an 85% success rate as a, hey, you know, have an affair and then and then you'll go through counseling and life will be better. What we're trying to do is to say, address your illusions now in a very healthy way. Try and figure out, like, what is it that I need in my life to grow and develop trust? What do I need from my spouse? And what does my spouse need from me to grow and develop trust so that we're closer? And then do that. I know that sounds really easy. But as long as it's not illegal and ethical or immoral, and it doesn't violate the rules or the boundaries of your relationship, which you need to talk about, then do that. And if you're unable to do that, but you're willing to do it, and it's not illegal and ethical or immoral, violate rules or boundaries, then go talk to a professional that will help you figure out, how do I do that? Yeah. I didn't grow up in a family of origin that talked a lot or talked about their, that talked about their feelings. Feelings are weird. I don't know what to do with my hands, you know? Go to a professional that goes, okay, so we're going to help you. You started with four crayons. Maybe we can get you to five. Maybe even get you to six or seven different colors that you can color with, with your feelings, to be able to articulate what's going on inside you so that you can open up, so the person can see what's happening in your world, understand it from your perspective, and trust you as an individual. So good. So good. So I think we're going to, um, we'll be able to teach the additional, if there's anything else to come up, um, I think we'll be able to do it through answering your questions because there's some great questions here. Um, and so, um, when it comes to what if you, 
um, there's, okay, so there's two questions here that deal with the wounding spouse being remorseful or, or feeling guilt, right? So there is that mm-hmm. level of remorse that's there. We'll maybe get to the question of if they're not remorseful here in a second, but if the wounding spouse is remorseful, but you feel like it's hard to trust them because it's a long-term pattern that the answer to that is it gets into boundaries. Like what are your boundaries of being able, well, first of all, it's taking a look at why can I not trust? Is it, is it about them not doing doing the right behaviors that will um, do the right thing the right way for the right reason for a really long time? Or is it an issue that I have a hard time trusting, even though they're trying to earn that trust back in a healthy way? Go ahead. So my question is, is um, has the pattern stopped? If it's yes. a long-term pattern of behavior and it's still ongoing, there's no remorse. Okay, yes. Remorse indicates I've stopped the behavior. I hated the way that I was and I want to do something differently. And so the way that that goes about, the way that we repair the trust cup is the behavior has stopped. They've expressed remorse. They may not fully understand it from the the weight of the experience of the person that's been wounded, but they're willing to, over time, understand that more in depth. But they've also asked, what do I need to do to repair trust? Now, then it comes to the person that's holding that trust cup that's got all the holes in it that sits there and goes, okay, what do they need to do? I can't just tell them that, you know, I don't trust them if they're willing to change. And I really want to make this work. And it hasn't been a large infraction, kind of a death of a thousand cuts. Then how do I change? What do I need to do specifically? And the other person goes, okay, here's what you do. Like you do these specific things. You do this thing the right way, the right reason for a really long time. And the other person goes, okay, I trust you. I'm willing to, yeah. Over time, that trust grows. I think for large infractions, that's very clear and easy, right? The the destructive yeah. behavior has to stop if it's a large infraction. When we get into small infractions, that's where it gets a little bit messier because it might be something that's behavior from like family of origin. It might be like different ways of doing things, different kinds of affection, different kinds of expression of communication or different kinds of what, you know, who does housework and how we do housework. And like, so as you get into small infractions, it can get a little bit messier. And so you've got to have those conversations a little and talk through it a little bit more to figure out, you know, where is this like breaking down trust? Where is this my issue with trust? Where is this as far as building it back? Um, and so without more information, it's harder for me to answer that specifically, but, um, I definitely second what Matt's saying. Um, I love this question. How do you help someone get over the guilt of hurting the other person? Like you've forgiven them for hurting you, but they really struggle with the guilt. Mm. That's a big, um, question, Matt, I don't, you know, cause I, we do have a lot of questions. We could camp out on this one the whole time, but I think my quick answer would be, you know, I think that there's two things going on. One is, um, you know, that individual's person, that individual's, um, dealing with their shame and their guilt. And, you know, Brene Brown talks about the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I made a mistake. Um, and guilt is productive. It makes us want to, um, be productive to heal the relationship and do those behavioral changes. And so guilt is healthy and it's productive, Mm -hmm. but shame is, I am a mistake and it is not productive. And she calls it the swampland of the soul. And nobody Mm -hmm. can save you from shame, but yourself, no amount of a spouse trying to like, no, it's okay. You're not a terrible person. Like, is that like that other person has to be the one to, pull them out of that shame and go, all right, I'm shaming myself. This is not helping the situation. If I feel guilt, I need to do the right thing for the right reason and pull myself into a better place. Um, On the other hand, I do want to say though, that we have incredible influence into our spouse's heart and, and our ability to go, I have forgiven you and I'm, I'm releasing you from that. And I'm asking Mm -hmm. you to release yourself too. Um, yeah. And so we do have influence. We just don't have control over what they're doing. And his, I think oftentimes that shame and guilt extend for a long time simply because people are shocked that they could do that. Yeah. Humans are shocked that they have the capacity to hurt another human until you do it. And then you realize, and then you may have to sit there and go back into your head and go, who am I? Do I really know myself? What am I capable of doing? You know? And when you have that, you actually have to like reorient your entire world and self perspective. Yeah. So that takes a minute. 
Yeah, for sure. Here's a great question. Will trust be ever be reinstated in a marriage after your heart has been broken? How do we move forward and not look back on the past? That's a big one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Marriage is all about breaking hearts. <laughs> I mean, come on. I know that sounds, I mean, golly, that's, and I'm not trying to make light of it. Don't hear me say that. We get our hearts broken often. And it's a sign that we love. It's a sign that we've been, we've made ourselves vulnerable. It's a sign that we actually have come back into the relationship. The thing is, is like in our relationship, Corey will break my heart. I'll break Corey's heart. And then we take our broken heart back to the person that broke it and say, can you help fix it? Mm-hmm. And that person helps to fix that breaking in the heart. And we fix that together. And that's how we grow together. I never expected to finish this life with a heart that was fully intact. No, I think for me, I expect to finish this life sitting next to an old woman, looking at both of our little broken hearts that have been mended over time and go, God, can you believe these things lasted this long? (laughs) Not with large infractions, but just human misunderstanding, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But no, it's true. True. I mean, and again, it goes back to that deeper question of what do you believe about people? And if you Mm -hmm. expect that people will never hurt you, then you will be surprised every time. And I'll be honest, I was kind of born with like giving people the benefit of the doubt and, and people are inherently good, you know? And so Mm -hmm. when, when they're hurtful or disappoint me, like I feel shocked every time and I feel hurt every Mm -hmm. time. And, you know, at some point I have to ask myself the question, what do I believe about people? Cause if I'm not saying that I should swing to the other extreme and say, everybody's hurtful and I should trust anyone. But if I can walk somewhere in the middle and go, all right, people are flawed and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to not know what I needed right when I needed it. And so I maybe won't be quite so surprised and quite so hurt and quite so like devastated and like all of that. Mm -hmm. So as far as how do we move forward and not look back on the past, I'll kind of share kind of what Matt and I have done for each other. You know, I will definitely say that for women in particular, um, we tend to have like these annoying pop-ups that will come up in our mind, like that are like, like the advertisements on your computer screen that come out of nowhere. And it can be this temptation to go back to an old argument, an old hurt. Um, I mean, all of us can be feeling sad and it suddenly our brain floods with all the other moments that we felt sad or all the other moments that we felt disappointed by someone. And so it can be tempting to pick up that old stuff and use it as validation for why I should disconnect from you, why I should not trust you, even if some of those things have been restored and forgiven and trust has been reestablished, we may have the temptation to go, see, you did it again. See, like it was never healed in the first place. And and so I think if you do have a relationship where you are working and and you're growing and you're forgiving each other and, and the relationship is getting stronger and better in those situations, like... I know Matt and I have worked on over the years being able to go, you know what? I'm not going to entertain that. That was in the past and that's not what's happening in the present. And I'm not going to entertain that narrative. There is a narrative, a theme that it's really easy to adopt this theme of my perspective of you when you hurt me. And that doesn't mean that that's what's actually happening right now or true. And so Mm -hmm. part of it is this internal work personally of going, no, I'm going to close out that window and not entertain that because it's not going to help us move forward forward and it's not what's happening right now. And I'm going to address what's happening right in front of us, unless it's a perpetual issue that's not resolved and you guys need Mm -hmm. to be working on it. But, um, I think it's also some, Matt, I think something we've done for each other Mm -hmm. is there's been moments where one of us might be in that shame spiral or might be in that tough place and we become each other's battle buddy. Um, in -hmm. our best, in our better moments, I think we've had like these opportunities to go, this is not, we're not going to entertain this narrative. Like that's not what's happening right now. Or, um, we're not going to, let's not bring past stuff into what's happening right now. And we've forgiven each other for this, or we've let you go of that. Or, you know, I don't know. We've just, had these better moments where we have um, been each other's advocate and been the marriage advocate instead of letting the past fuel the present. Well, I think there's this important change that happens in a marriage when you, when you're not so interested in, in who's to blame. And this is talking about kind of small infractions. You're not so interested in, in really who's to blame and you see if and when you see the other person struggling with the damage that they have done, you don't add to it, 
because you don't like seeing them hurt. You actually come alongside them and they're like, wow, you're, you're really hurting because of what you did. Right. And, and I know you didn't want to do that, or I know you didn't want to not do that or forget that. I know you want to be the better version of yourself and that you can't be that right now. So it doesn't make any sense for me to dogpile on top of that. If the behavior has changed, if there's been remorse and that's all in the past, look how far you've come. I mean, I had this experience in the gym the other day. I remember when I was right after I had my second shoulder surgery and I couldn't lift three pounds over my head. I mean, I literally was like, you know, like Steve Rogers before he got the got the super soldier serum, just a 90 pound weakling. And, uh, and I was like, this three pounds is kicking my butt right now trying to lift it. And the other day I was in the, the gym lifting several times more that like how far I've come. I couldn't have pride in where I'm at now. If I didn't think about how weak I was then and the changes that I've made. And that happens in both in our marriage. I mean, We've reclaimed the broken parts of our marriage by doing what we're doing like right now. Mm-hmm. Like we give meaning to the first five years of our marriage that were extremely difficult by sitting here and being brutally honest mm-hmm. that you can survive it and you can actually thrive through it. And then you can have a story to tell other people and be proud of it. You know, am I proud of the fact that I threw a laptop across our house in, in Lexington, Kentucky? When we were so broke, that we couldn't afford another laptop. No, but I remember that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that stupid kid, that stupid kid that was so angry that didn't know how to deal with his own frustration and his own anger at failing in marriage. What did he do and why did he do that? But I can sit there and go, man, I am so far from that kid right now. And I think when you forgive yourself and you forgive your spouse, when the behavior is no longer present and it is long gone, you find this freedom in it later on that actually gives life and breathes life to your current marriage. And it's, it's, it's amazing. So we have some really big questions that we're going to try to answer here. That's left um, with the time that we have left. Um, We only have like five minutes or so, and I'm sure that we could go on for, you know, a couple more hours. This is such a big topic. And I appreciate so many of you guys sticking around. um, And this really shows how big of a topic this is. Um, so I'm going to do the best. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to answer a couple of them that were turned in before the event when you guys registered, the ones that I can just answer very quickly. I'm going to go through a couple of those real quick, and then I'm going to answer. We're going to address the bigger one to kind of finish out that's in the Q&A box. Okay. So to answer a couple of ones really quickly um, is... Um, one of them asked, um, how, how long does it take, especially after infidelity to heal a relationship? We answered that the average is three years of, um, weekly counseling, both people completely 100% in and working on it. Um, there was another question about how, um, does emotional affairs affect your relationship? And the easy answer for that is it's just as destructive as a physical affair, but it's one step away from a physical affair. So it, it is definitely destructive. Um, any betrayal is destructive. And going back to that first question, who decides if it's destructive? It's the person who's feeling the wounding of it. And so absolutely destructive and um, definitely something to address as soon as possible and making sure that you um, set these boundaries and consequences in your relationship. I don't mean like parenting consequences, but anytime there is a really destructive you know, I hate to say it, but like, I mean, Matt has definitely given, you know, expressed to me and communicated, um, the consequences to, so when Matt really wrestled with his anger early on in our relationship, um, and that laptop, like there was consequences in our relationship for that laptop being thrown and that we didn't have the money to replace that laptop. And I was like, we're not going into debt to replace it. That's just, that's just the consequence. But the bigger, more important consequence was the, the, distancing and the distrust mm-hmm. in my heart and the uh, the intimacy that was breaking down between us and learning how to communicate that. But that ended up being flipped. We've shared this in a previous part of the series too, in that as I started to detach from the relationship because the trust had been broken, this was a cycle, by the way, there was no beginning and no end. So it's not mm-hmm. just, you know, Matt started it. It's not like that. Um, and I, think I can say I started it. 
But um, as I started to withdraw from him, once he started to actually change the behavior and do something different and do it for the right reason for a really long time, it was time for me to be willing to start trusting him again. But I was staying withdrawn and, and emotionally withdrawn from him. And so that then started to break down his trust in the relationship because I am so withdrawn in the relationship that he feels disconnected. He feels like he's doing all the right things. Where is my wife? Like I, I thought this was what you wanted was for me to build that trust back. So are you coming back in this relationship or not? Right. And so I was now the quieter one, but still just as destructive. And so, um, it's, it, there is consequences in the relationship when wounding happens and you have to be able to express, here's the boundary. Here's what we both believe about marriage. Here's what it means to work on our marriage. And when we choose to not do that, um, then there are consequences. And it's how do you express to answer this question about an emotional affair? How do you communicate? There are consequences to you having an emotional affair in the relationship or outside of the relationship. And here's what's happening between us that if you don't change that behavior, here's what's going to continue to break down. And you have to decide whether or not you want to save this relationship or not. That's expressing the consequences of that destructive behavior. So um, I want to get to, to wrap up our time together. We're not losing anybody and it's <laughs> 1.30 my time, 2.30 Eastern time. So um, I do want to try to answer this, Matt, and maybe we can try to close with this. Um, such big questions both side at the same time because it's we feel the heaviness of what you guys are struggling with here and it mm. and it's really um heartbreaking try not to cry because we care so much about you guys and we want your marriages to make it um and so we believe that you can we believe that mm -hmm. you can restore your relationship you can rebuild trust you can do the right thing for the right reason and you can make your family more important than some of the other voices that are in your head that are uh, more important than the voices of the job that are more mm -hmm. important than the voices of whatever else that you're giving territory in your mind that says it's more important than the spouse that's in front of you the children that are in front of you and that this is worth fighting for but it does take sacrifice. And it does take mm -hmm. really hard work of digging deep and deciding that I'm going to do something different, even though I may not feel like I'm good at it. Right. I'm going right. to choose to do something to work on it, even if I need to get the help to do it. So one of them is how do you move forward when we're doing a lot of the, the counseling, the work, but you still feel hurt. So it's how do you let go of the hurt once you've been working on it for a while? So Matt, mm -hmm. if you want to think about that for a second, um, and that's yep. a good question. And I think the second question um, is is well, one I'm going to answer because um, I've struggled with this personally. I'll start with the hurt, and then okay. you can. I'll wrap up with that. The next. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how to let go of hurt? If you haven't let go of the hurt, you haven't addressed the real reason why you're hurt. I, I mean, you you've you've maybe danced around it. I mean, there's one practice that we have in counseling that we do. It's it's called five questions. And it usually it says five questions, but usually there's is more questions. And it's usually as a therapist, we just keep going, well, why? Well, why do you feel that? Well, why do you think that? Well, why is that that way? And because we're trying to get down to like, what's the root? And usually the root has to do with a message. It's a message that we've received. It's a message that, uh, that we grew up with. It's something on a tape recorder that we're wrestling with that we don't want in our life. And just kind of like it's a pee in the mattress, right? And so if we don't know what that real original hurt was, and you really don't, you, you haven't really hit the nail on the head of why you're hurt until you break. And this is what I've seen in counseling nine times out of 10. Unless you actually get to a place where you like are almost kind of sobbing. And, um, and, I, and I'll say this, you know, and I'm speaking in generalities because I don't know specifically what you're, what you're dealing with. Um, but I've seen it often enough, even with soldiers, like grizzled soldiers, where I'm like, well, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean about you? What does that mean? And usually it gets to a place of like, well, I'm unlovable. I mean, huge statements like, you know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't value me. I'm worthless. I mean, big, big phrases usually when you finally get to that place um, that people don't want to confront that as 
as the lie that they've now got to confront and deal with. Because once you finally get to like the root thing that is that devastating hurt that's all covered up with all the other stuff, once we finally get to that root, then we go, okay, let's pluck this out by the root and then let's actually plant the good things that are there. Because if there have been changes made, then, you know, then you can actually plant things in there and begin to grow a new garden of truths that you can look back in over time. But you can't move on from a hurt that you haven't dealt with. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember, and I'll close, I'll, I'll, I'll close up what I'm saying with this. Um, I remember one time during the first deployment, it was the first time that I'd seen people walk around with like open gunshots. And I was like, wow, that's so that's a thing. Like, don't you want to sew that thing closed? And they're like, no, 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 no. We pulled the bullet out and we put something in there that pulls the, as it's healing from the inside out, that pulls out all the stuff that as it's healing, all the, you know, Bodily fluids. No, no, no. The bodily fluids as it's kind of like draining and cleaning itself out, you know, that pulls that out. And it's just a little wick and they shove in like cotton in there and then they'll pull it out the next day and shove more in there. And it heals from the inside out. But if you sew it shut, it actually festers because it doesn't get to heal from the inside out. So if you're still hurting, it's because you just tried to sew it shut from the outside and be like, look, see, I'm good. There's no bullet hole there. I'm totally fine. But what you've got to do is you got to walk around with that butt, that bullet hole for a little while yeah. when you finally deal with the real hurt of what you're what you're hurting from. And and the only other thing that I would add to that is that you may not have been specific enough with your spouse yeah. on how they can earn the trust back. And yeah. um and go back and listen to that episode that I told you about of the stages of recovery, because I, I clearly address like what needs to happen in phase one, what needs to happen in phase two. And when I see questions like that, um, usually we're, we're in between phase one and phase two and something didn't, it's like that Swiss cheese, something was missed in phase one and we're trying to move too quickly to phase two. Um, and something's not like Matt mm-hmm. saying, it's not mm-hmm. done and needs to be healed. So um, I can't believe we haven't lost anybody yet. I'm going to answer this last question and then we're going to close. So thank you guys for sticking around. And this is a big question. I think this is going to really resonate with a lot of people. And, um, and it's hard for me to answer this, but I think it's a good, important thing for me to end on because, um, the question is, is what if the wounding person has always said they're willing to work on their weaknesses, but life, kids, job, whatever keeps getting in the way. Is it a sign that they aren't truly committed to fixing things? And I'm going to answer that because this is something that we've struggled with, um, personally. And this, this, for me, I'll just give the example that, Um, this, depending on if it's a large infraction or a small infraction, but in these cases, I think it's small infractions that have perpetually snowballed into what feels like to the wounded spouse, a large infraction of over time, all those holes in my cup. And like, you haven't made any of those changes or addressed that this is important to me. And so, um, I will say that I grew up in a largely unaffectionate home, um, where I kind of spent a lot of time by myself and really kind of just took care of myself. And so coming into marriage, this was a really big struggle for me to extend and learn how to express affection and learn how to really communicate that affection. And it was something that Matt has always asked me to work on and asked me to do better with. And, and it became, you know, I'll be honest, there was times in our marriage that I would say, you know what, it's just my upbringing. I don't know how, or I don't know this, or I don't know that, or maybe it's just me and you just need to accept me for who I am or whatever. And I can say from the other person's perspective that it's not about a lack of commitment. There are things that we can genuinely in our story feel stuck in or not like Matt said, like the crayons, you know, like the number of crayons that you can genuinely feel stuck in something or feel like you don't know how to make progress in that area. Or it could be a season that life is really chaotic or, you know, especially if it's a supporting spouse at home where, you know, I'll say that this deployment has been very challenging for us here at home where there's been so many times I've gone to do that journaling, you know, and I just am falling asleep while I'm journaling. And it's like not been, um, stress that I've invited into my life. It's just like, this is the season that it is just unrelenting, you know? And so sometimes it is the season of life and sometimes it's your upbringing and your hardwiring. And all of those can be variables that play a factor. 
Um, but I can definitely say from my perspective, I'm truly committed. I truly want to make those changes. I truly want to hear what Matt is asking me for, hear what he's asking for me to grow through, be willing to show that growth. But it, it does have to come down to my willingness to do what I can to make what changes I can, whether that's seeking that professional help or reading the right books or taking those risks to try, or whether it's communicating that I am trying, but this is what's happening today. And it genuinely is a season, but here's how I'm going to show I'm trying in these other ways. I think I can definitely express to you that even in this deployment, Matt has um, overwhelmingly in, a, in the most loving way extended so much grace to me that I can't even express how life-changing that has been for me, for him to extend that grace and just say, I see you having a rough season. And so I'm going to be patient with you through that. And so I think it's a two-sided thing. I think it is a two-sided thing of saying, I can both ask you for change, um, depending on if it's a small infraction or a big infraction, but I can both ask you for change, but I can also extend grace at the same time and us figure out how to meet in the middle. But I will tell you, we could, we, Matt and I could share with you from experience that please be careful with your words and be careful with each other's souls that we can mm -hmm. actually in the process of trying to figure out the middle and getting it right and getting the other person to meet our needs. And like in that process of figuring that out, we can also do a lot of wounding to each other mm -hmm. and trying to figure that out. So I think if we could say anything to you guys to be graceful with each other, be loving in your mm -hmm. asks, go and get professional help if you need to, to figure out how to communicate those things in kindness so that you don't do more damage in the process of figuring it out. So Matt, would you add anything as we close? Do you, do you have a great phrase about keeping your side of the street clean? And so there, we all move through different seasons of when we have to grow and it's never, I mean, if you're both growing through the same season, that can be tough. Um, but you have to recognize and be graceful when it's not your, when, when you've, when you've done your growing and now you're kind of in a waiting season while the other person's growing, you don't wait with, um, resentment in your heart. You wait with grace in your heart because the other person was waiting while you were doing your growing, while you were doing your changing. And so you create a, uh, a place and a space for the other person to grow and to change gracefully while um, allowing them to do that at their own pace and not lording it over them. Because any growth that somebody does where they're being like command handed to grow, you know, where you're forcing somebody to grow in, in a very mean way, not, um, where, not where you're, you know. It's good to ask people to grow, but it's the manner in which you ask them to grow and tell them, you know, request them to grow. Um, when you give that grace and you give that space, it, it is life-changing for the other person too. When you, you have an opportunity to look at your own expectations and rules and boundaries and begin to assess those. So even when it is the other person's turn to grow in your grace for during that season, you grow as well. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.